Hey. Um. Y'all hear me? Y'all. Ain't nobody here. Okay. Let me check. I'm gonna mic check. Hello. Hello. Sounds good to me. All right. Uh. I'm gonna get right to it. Hello. Let me see here. Scooch that up a teeny bit. Um. All right, let's do the intro. Cut. Cut. Uh, action. I don't remember how to do this. Okay. Super awkward funcast. You're listening to the super awkward funcast. Yeah. All right, welcome to this. 66th, I believe, episode of the Funcast. Uh, let's get some cheering up in here. That was just as quick as I wanted it to be. That's what she said. So, nobody's here. (laughs) I'm off to a great start. Um, If you're new here, this is Al Latham with the latest on the dystopia that we live in. I've been doing this show since 2013, so about 10 years. So I, I don't know, things are going so shitty right now with the show situation in so much that, well, one, I have to use my internal mic right now. So if it sounds bad, I I tried because my mic mic, my snowball is not it right now. It's, um, it's on the fritz. So I need a new mic, but I don't have money yet. So I just started working again. That's a little about me. Um, This show is a lot for me to get into. And the live isn't that bad, I guess. But I like the interaction. So if people come in, that helps. If they don't then I'll just keep talking to myself, I guess, which is what it feels like, honestly. I was just thinking that, like, that my podcast, I pay for. It's not like I do this shit for free. I pay for the privilege of having the show, and not enough people kind of listen to it. And that's not their fault. It's it's Elon Musk's fault. <laughs> so we're talking about... Elon Musk tonight, because I'm sick of his shit. Um, He has limited my reach on Twitter. He has, not unilaterally, because I think he's got people involved that are helping, but they have been keeping people from accessing a link to the show in the bio. It's in my bio on Twitter, and it says it's malicious or whatever. 
So that's bullshit. My website is totally legitimate and I pay for it uh, on Podbean. And other than that, also, nobody really sees my tweets or they do, but they don't engage with them. So I don't know if people are actually seeing my tweets or whatever. And it's all because I won't pay him. So it's like extortion, honestly. They're like, okay, we'll give you this platform. We'll let you be seen and heard and everything. And everybody will see your shit if you give us some money every month. Uh-uh. That ain't, I ain't playing that game. I'm not doing the financial services version of Twitter. I'm just not doing it. Y'all, other people can comply and do that shit who give him shit. They can do it all they want. I will remain independent. I will remain unseen <laughs> and unheard as I am right now. Uh, cause no one's here. Um, so basically, yeah, that's where I'm at on that. But hopefully people will listen to this after the live. Cause this is a live version of the show. If you didn't notice, it's pretty fucked. Um, so check it out when you get the chance, I guess. And if you're checking it out now, thanks. I really appreciate you. I put a lot into this show, more than people think or believe, I'm sure. Um, I went through sources last night for the show, 27 of them, now 28. Probably wouldn't be more than 28 at this point, but we're going to try and get through it because we got to get to two hours or under two hours today. So I'm just going to get straight to it, even though nobody's fucking here. Thought I heard something like a dog. Um, Impossible. I bet there is a bark audio effect here, though. Ooh, let's do a creepy laugh. Let's see what that sounds like. Don't like that. Okay. Um, so back to Elon Musk, because he's a topic of discussion for tonight. And um, it's what sucks is like I just like promoted the show. It doesn't even matter how much I promote the show. I could put it somewhere. Nobody sees it. Or only a few people see it. Or it says people are seeing it, but they're not engaging with it at all. I don't know why I'm bugging about it still. I knew it was going to be like this. They're going to make it so, and I've said this online, they want to make it so that you have no choice but to give them money. And I just love giving rich people money. That's like my main goal in life is to make rich people richer. Honestly. Not sarcasm at all. 109 views on the post that's promoting the show from a couple hours ago. Not one like, not one retweet. Because I don't even think it's like my posts are even going to my fucking followers at this point. (laughs) Shout out to my followers. I lost a couple recently. No big deal. Um, Yeah, they might have been bots, though. I'm just going to assume everyone's a bot until I see them face to face at this point. (laughs) And that leads us to this uh, other discussion we're going to have about AI, which is just taking over the world, isn't it? Isn't that funny? I just actually saw a documentary. I'm not going to say what it was. 
on AI before the show. And I'm like, oh, they beat me to it. Because they went into deep shit that I'm not going to be able to get into. Uh, but I will show you like the connections between Elon Musk and the AI transhumanist agenda and Sam Altman and uh, open AI and all this shit. Like there's so much going on. So let's get straight to it. So first off, I saw this uh, video 11 days ago. It was posted, but I saw it recently on CNBC television, which I watch from time to time to watch the press briefings and to see the discourse because they actually allow comments, which is nice. Um, so I saw this little video and I thought I would share it with you guys. So just the first part, we're not going to go super into it, but here we go. It's called Elon Musk on Sam Altman and chat GPT. I am the reason open AI, open AI exists in case you didn't know guys. And maybe I'll go into this deeper in the next episode. I don't know. We'll see how this one does. Um, so then, so yeah, this is that interview, the first part where he's talking about his relationship with that company. Also, Sam Altman, fun fact, a weffer. He has a weff page. Look it up. I'm not putting it in the sources. Just trust me, bro. Look it up yourself. Do your own research. I can't do everything for you. I don't have time for that. I went to all of these websites and categorized them and put them in a copy and paste email for myself so that I can copy and paste the shit into this description later. Tomorrow. Happy Memorial Day to everybody who loves the Bankers Wars. But anyway, here we go. Open AI. I mean, you seem somewhat frustrated with that. You were one of the big contributors early on. The reason I am the reason Open AI exists. Um, How much money did you get? Um, so, uh, I, I, I'm not sure the exact number, but it's some some number on, on the order of fifty million dollars. Uh, so, so, the, the man, fate loves irony next level. You know what's funny about him also? He had a stake in PayPal early on. He was a co-founder, as you might may have heard. And now he's bringing it back with the Twitter financial services X app thing. But anyway, I thought that was interesting. Like he puts all this money into shit and then he goes away or they get rid of him at some point And then he has to come back in and prove himself and all this stuff. It's just like we're watching this fucker, like Tony Stark kind of dude, but not with the same cachet, like do all this shit. Um, so I used to be close friends with Larry Page and I would stay at his house and we'd have these conversations long into, long into the evening, um, about AI and I, I would, as I, you I would do, be constantly urging him to be careful about the danger of, of AI and, um, and, and, and he, he just, he was really not concerned about the danger of AI and was quite cavalier about it. Um, and, um, and, and, and at, at the time. Uh, Google, especially after their acquisition of DeepMind, had three quarters of the world's AI talent. They had obviously a lot of computers and a lot of money. Um, so it was a unipolar world for, for AI. And, and so we've got a unipolar world, but, but the, the person who, who controls that does not, or at least did not seem to be concerned about AI safety. That, that, sound, that sounded like a real problem. So, um, and then the final straw was uh, Larry calling me a speciesist. Uh, for being um, pro-human consciousness <laughs> instead of machine consciousness. And I'm like, well, yes, I guess I am. I, 
I am a speciesist, and, and, and uh, so and, right. So you helped to the creation of OpenAI. You put yeah, in as so much as fifty million dollars. More than helped. It wouldn't exist without it me. It wouldn't exist without you. So um, I came up with the name. Right. Uh, thanks, thanks, thanks. I guess uh, the name uh, OpenAI refers to open source. Um, so, so the intent was: what's the okay? So what was the opposite? What's the opposite of? Um, of Google would, would be a an open source nonprofit because Google is closed source for profit, um, and that profit motivation can be potentially dangerous. Um, so, uh, should you have gotten governance for that money? Should you have gotten some level of control, perhaps, in retrospect? Yeah, Long I, I, I fully admit to being a huge idiot here. Um, so. Um, Anyway, so, so OpenAI was like meant to be OpenAI, open as an open source. Uh, it was created as a by one c three, and um, but but I, so so part of it is also in the beginning. I thought, look, this is this is probably a hopeless endeavor. How could we possibly compete with? Uh, how, how could OpenAI possibly compete with with Google DeepMind? I mean, this this seemed like an ant against an elephant. You know, which is not, not a contest, um, and. Um, and I was also, uh, I mean, I, 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 I was instrumental in, in recruiting the, the, the key uh, scientists and engineers, most specifically, most notably, uh, Ilya Sutskaya. Um, in fact, um, uh, Ilya went back and forth several times because he, he would say he's going to join OpenAI, then Demis would convince him not to, then I, I would convince him to do so, and then. And this went back for several times, and ultimately he decided to join OpenAI. And, and really, uh, uh, Ilya joining was the was was the linchpin for right. uh, OpenAI being ultimately successful. So you're very disappointed in what's happened there in terms of it becoming a for profit. Taking action, them in some way. I I do think that there's some look. It does seem weird that something can be um, a non-profit. Uh, open source and somehow transform itself into a for-profit closed source. Um, I mean, this would be like, like let's say you funded an organization to save the Amazon rainforest, and instead they became a, a lumber company <laughs> and chopped down the forest and sold it for money. And you'd be therefore like, well, wait a second, that's uh, the exact opposite of what I gave the money for. Yeah. Uh, is that legal? That doesn't seem legal. Uh, and if it is, and in general, if it is legal to start a company as a nonprofit and then take the IP and transfer it to a for-profit, that then makes tons of money. Um, Microsoft. Shouldn't everyone start. Shouldn't that be the default? Um, and 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 then I also think it's important to understand the the like like when push comes to shove. Let's say they do create some some digital super intelligence. Almost godlike intelligence. I played the whole thing. Sorry. <laughs> and and what ex exactly is the relationship between OpenAI and Microsoft? Um, and I do worry that uh, Microsoft actually may be more in control than say the leadership team at OpenAI realizes. Um, I mean, Microsoft, ha as part of the Microsoft investment, they have uh, rights to all of the software, all of the model weights, and everything necessary to run the inference system. So they essentially have a great deal of control. At any point, Microsoft could cut off OpenAI. That was interesting. So then there's, um, you might have heard also 12 days ago, previously, 
previously, prior to this, um, the, this is from C-SPAN, OpenAI CEO, Sam Altman, if this technology goes wrong, it can go quite wrong. So there was a testim testimony from him to Congress. Um, and this was part of it. Let's see what he says here. Oh, shit. Because this was in the recommended. God damn it. Testifies, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I okay. alluded in my uh, opening remarks to the, the jobs issue, the economic effects on Okay, we'll get to that. So let's skip that because we're getting to that later. The impact on jobs. AI will change every job. Nutrition labels. Let's see what it says here. All right, worse fear. All right, that's probably where it gets interesting. Here we go. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to ask... Uh... Mr. Altman, if he cares to respond. Yeah. Look, we, we have tried to be very clear about the magnitude of the risks here. Um, I, I think jobs and employment and what we're all going to do with our time really matters. I agree that when we get to very powerful systems, the landscape will change. I think I'm just more optimistic that we are incredibly creative and we find new things to do with better tools and that will keep happening. Um, my worst fears are that we cause significant, we, the field, the technology, the industry, cause significant harm to the world. Uh, I think that could happen in a lot of different ways. It's why we started the company. Um, it's a big part of why I'm here today uh, and why we've been here in the past and been able to spend some time with you. I think if this technology goes wrong, it can go quite wrong. Uh, and we want to be vocal about that. We want to work with the government. To prevent that from happening but we, we try to be very clear-eyed work with the government the downside cases and the work that we have to do to mitigate that we got to work with the government guys we can't do anything by ourselves okay so a little more background on this open ai stuff hold on is this what i want to Oh, man, do I want to go into that? I don't want to go into that. We'll go into that some other time. Um, all right, so the Microsoft thing. So let's do that. Okay. So if you're wondering what happened with the Microsoft buy or whatever, OpenAI is giving Microsoft exclusive access to its GPT-3 language model. This is the latest news. From the technology, MIT Technology Review, September 23rd, 2020. Actually, this is from 2020. That's interesting. Okay, so this was way before everything blew up recently. So this is three years ago, almost three years ago, by Karen Howe. <laughs> the lab was supposed to benefit humanity. Now it's simply benefiting one of the richest companies in the world. The news. On September 22nd, 2020, Microsoft announced that it would begin exclusively licensing GPT-3, the world's largest language model built by San Francisco-based OpenAI. The model acts like a powerful autocomplete. It can generate essays given the starting sentence, songs given a musical intro, or even web page layouts given a few lines of HTML code, 
Microsoft says it will begin making use of these capabilities in its products and services, though it didn't specify details. What does exclusive mean? The companies say OpenAI will continue to offer its public-facing API, which allows chosen users to send text to GPT-3 or OpenAI's other models and receive its output. Only Microsoft, however, will have access to GPT-3's underlying code, allowing it to embed, repurpose, and modify the model as it pleases, which is not very open to me, but whatever. A long time coming. OpenAI was originally founded as a nonprofit and raised its initial billion dollars on the premise that it would pursue AI for the benefit of humanity. It asserted that it would be independent from for-profit financial incentives and thus in uniquely a position to shepherd the technology with society's best interests in mind. But in early 2019, it stirred controversy when it chose not to release GPT-3's predecessor, GPT-2, and shortly after broke from its pure nonprofit status to set up a for-profit arm. At the time, many speculated that part of the organization's motive to withhold GPT-2 might be to preserve the possibility of licensing the model in the future. In July of 2019, OpenAI accepted its second billion-dollar investment from Microsoft, split between cash and credits to Azure, Microsoft's cloud computing platform. Indeed, in the months following the Microsoft investment, OpenAI CEO and Weffer, that's me, Sam Altman's internal messaging began emphasizing the need to commercialize its technologies in order to continue supporting its work. The latest news now solidifies OpenAI's transformation. GPT-3 likely won't be the only model it will exclusively license to Microsoft. It's only the first. Why it matters. Over the past few years, there have been there's been growing concern over the way AI concentrates power. The most advanced AI techniques require, require an enormous amount of com computational resources, which increasingly only the wealthiest companies can afford. This gives tech giants outsized influence not only in shaping the field of research, but also in building and controlling the algorithms that shape our lives. Some experts have, ex have proposed leveling out the playing field by increasing government funding to academic labs for AI research, but this requires a level of foresight and coordination that the U.S. government in particular has struggled to manifest. OpenAI seems to offer an alternative solution that would rely on neither corporate nor government dollars, but that no longer seems to be the case. All right, let me calm that down. Shut up. I don't know if you can hear that as bad as I can hear it. I'm trying to shut it up. Okay. Then we got TechCrunch. This is from 2023. So this year, OpenAI releases GPT-4, a multimodal AI that is that it claims is state of the art. This is from March 14, 2023. Kyle Wiggers wrote it. What a name. OpenAI has released a powerful new image and text understanding AI model, GPT-4, that the company calls the late, latest milestone in its effort in scaling up deep learning. GPT-4 is available today to paying users, 
to OpenAI's paying you, OpenAI's paying users via ChatGPT Plus with the usage cap, gap, cap, and developers can sign up on a waitlist to access the API. So it is super for profit now. Pricing is point point. Pricing is three cents per 1,000 prompt tokens, about 750 words, and six cents per 1,000 completion tokens, again, about 750 words. Tokens re represent raw text, for example, the word. Analysts, yay. And Khan Academy is leveraging GPT-4 to build some sort of automated tutor. GPT-4 can generate text and accept image and text inputs and improvement over GPT-3.5, its predecessor, which only accepted text and performs at human level on various professional and academic benchmarks. For example, GPT-4 passes a simulated bar exam with a score around the top 10% of test takers. In contrast, GPT 3.5 score was around the bottom 10%. OpenAI spent six months iteratively aligning GPT 4 using lessons from an internal adversarial testing program as well as ChatGPT, resulting in best ever results on factuality, steerability, and refusing to go outside of guardrails, according to the company. Like previous GPT models, GPT-4 was trained using publicly available data, including from what public web, web pages, as well as data from OpenAI licensed. That OpenAI licensed. OpenAI worked with Microsoft to develop a supercomputer from the ground up in the Azure cloud, which was used to train GPT-4. In a casual conversation, the distinction between GPT-3.5 and GPT-4 can be subtle. OpenAI wrote in a blog post announcing GPT-4. The difference comes about out when the complexity of the text, text, the complexity of the task reaches a sufficient threshold. GPT-4 is more reliable, creative, and able to handle much more nuanced instructions than GPT-3.5. And then there's some more information. And then it says, there's clearly a lot to unpack with GPT-4, but OpenAI for its part is forging to full steam ahead, evidently confident in the enhancements it's made. We look forward to GPT-4 becoming a valuable tool in improving people's lives by powering many applications. There's still a lot of work to do, and we look forward to improving this model through the collective efforts of the community building on top of exploring and contributing to the model. So that's that's most of that article. 
And then there's more um, in case you were wondering about the chat GPT plus plan, which sounds very similar to what they're doing with Twitter, but I digress. This is from four months ago, February 1st, 2023. Kyle Wiggers again. OpenAI launches ChatGPT Plus starting at $20 per month. Aiming to monetize what's become a viral phenomenon, OpenAI today launched a new pilot subscription plan for ChatGPT, its text-generating AI that can write convincingly human-like essays, poems, emails, lyrics, and more. Called ChatGPT Plus and starting at $20 per month, the service delivers a number of benefits over the base level ChatGPT, OpenAI says, including general access to ChatGPT even during peak times, faster response times, and priority access to new features and improvements. So, yeah, there's a little bit about that. And then we got some more information about the investment from Microsoft from CNBC.com. This is from Ryan Brown on, uh, what day is this? Uh, January 10th, 2023. Microsoft reportedly plans to invest $10 billion in creator of Buzzy AI tool, ChatGPT. The key points, we're just gonna end it there, I think. Microsoft is set to invest $10 billion in OpenAI as part of a funding round that would value the company at $29 billion, new site Semaphore reported Tuesday. Microsoft will reportedly get a 75% share of OpenAI's profits, that's a majority, until it be, makes back the money on its investment, after which the company would assume a 49% stake in OpenAI. A bet on ChatGPT could help Microsoft boost its efforts in web search, a market dominated by Google. There's Google again. Uh, let's. Oh, this is a not very long article, but... It does say at the end, in December, Morgan Stanley published a report examining whether ChatGPT is a threat to Google. Brian Nowak, the bank's lead analyst on Alphabet, wrote that language models could take market share and disrupt Google's position as the entry point for people on the internet. OpenAI, which was founded by Silicon Valley entrepreneur and weffer Sam Altman in 2015, launched its chat GPT to the public in late November. Despite optimism over its potential, the project is burning through cash due to the overwhelming level of pressure on its servers arising from its virality. Five days after Op OpenAI released chat GPT, Altman said that the chat research tool crossed 1 million users. And I blame those people for continuing this nonsense. Thanks a lot. Um, but you're just so fucking interested and so curious about this technology, I guess. We gotta keep looking at it. Um, did this mean anything? I wanted to do this, but this doesn't really mean anything. We'll do that another day. Um, so WEF. So here's another thing about WEF regarding this. One, um, I want to welcome, according to Borga Brenda, Borga, Borga Brenda, who was uh, invited to the Bilderberg 2023 this year. Yes, they're back. Yay. Um, he had a post on May 15, 2023 that struck my fancy. 
is that the right word? Whatever. Anyway, it says, great to announce the World Economic Forum's Malaysia Center for 4IR, which is the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Today in Kuala Lumpur, it will focus on digital transformation, including AI and sustainable energy. The center will be connected to the other 18 centers globally. How many? Okay, so we have 18 centers. Let me look at those. Y'all say what those are, because that would be great. Uh, da, da, da. This partnership will not only drive transformation. Where's that? Okay. But also help build a more sustainable, inclusive, and resilient future for Malaysia and the region, Brenda said. Um, also officiating the launch, Malaysia's Minister of Economy, Rafizi Ramli, said the launch reflects a critical insight in Malaysia's innovation journey as it is a team sport and collaboration is essential. According to Rafisi, by being able to reproduce the same developmental paradigm, which entails working with the best in the world to gain insights, can assist in speeding up the formulation of policies as well as provide a platform and environment for our private sector. We hope the Malaysia Center for 4IR will not only put Malaysia on the regional map, but at the same time allows access to small and medium enterprises, SMEs, to tap into the global network of innovations and technology, he added. My digital corp chief executive officer, Fabian Bigger, said the center marks a significant milestone since the Malaysia Digital Economy Blueprint and the National 4IR policy was rolled out. With the Malaysia Center for 4IR being hosted by the group, My Digital, My Digital is mandated to ensure the initiatives under the roadmap and policies are carried out. The establishment of the center aligns with and further fortifies our initiatives to catalyze homegrown technology development by enhancing collaborative opportunities among stakeholders to unlock value in 4IR technologies, he added in a statement. The initiative will take place for three years and will soon develop a plan after obtaining input from external and private sectors during a roundtable discussion. The Malaysia Center for 4IR is the first in the ASE S-E-A-N region and is the 19th among the other 18 centers located all over the world as an innovative hub. So this article is from originally the star in Malaysia, Malaysia Center for 4IR to play a crucial role in driving digital economy. So yeah, that happened fun times. And then we have the Future of Jobs report just happened to come out this year as well. And that is getting a lot of, um, got some, oh, can I download this? I guess I can, sure. Um, got some buzz or whatever online. Oh, wait, I can look at the key findings. Let's do that instead. I don't want to download the whole thing. Okay, let's look at the key findings of that because I don't have time. Um, so it says here, the Future of Jobs Report 2023 explores how jobs and skills will evolve over the next five years. This fourth edition of the series continues the 
analysis of employer expectations to provide new insights on how socioeconomic and technology trends will shape the workplace of the future. And again, this is from WEF from April 30th, 2023. So, so these are the key findings. Economic health and geopolitical trends have created divergent outcomes for labor markets globally in 2023. While tight labor markets are prevalent in high income countries, low and lower middle income countries continue to see higher unemployment than before the COVID-19 pandemic. pandemic. On an individual level, labor market outcomes are also diverging as workers with only basic education and women face lower (laughs) employment levels. Are you trying to equate the two there? It's interesting. At the same time, real wages are declining as a result of an ongoing cost of living crisis and changing worker expectations and concerns about the quality of work are becoming more prominent issues globally. The fourth edition of the survey has the widest coverage thus far by topic, geography, and sector. The Future of Jobs survey brings together the perspective of 803 companies, collectively employing more than 11.3 million workers across 27 industry clusters and 45 economies from all world regions. The survey covers questions of macro trends and technology trends, their impact on jobs, their impact on skills, and the workforce transformation strategies businesses plan to use across the 2023-2027 timeframe. Technology adoption will remain a key driver of business transformation in the next five years. Over 85% of organizations surveyed identify increased adoption of new and frontier of technologies and broadening digital access as the trends most likely to drive transformation in their organization. Broader application of environmental, social, and governance ESG standards within their organizations will also have a significant impact. The next most impactful trends are macroeconomic, the rising cost of living, and slow economic growth. The impact of investments to drive the green transition was judged to be the sixth most impactful macro macro trend, followed by supply shortages and consumer expectations around social and environmental issues. Those still expected to drive the transformation of almost uh, half of the companies in the next five years, the ongoing impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, increased geopolitical divisions and democratic dividend demographic dividends in developing, that's a lot of Ds, and emergence, that's what she said, and emerging economies were racked, were ranked lower as drivers of business evolution by respondents. The largest job creation and destruction effects come from environmental technology and economic trends. Huh. Among the macro trends listed, Businesses predict the strongest net job creation effect to be driven by investments that facilitate the green transmission of businesses, the broader application of ESG standards and supply chains becoming more localized, albeit with job growth offset by partial job displacement in each case, climate change adaptation, 
and the demographic dividend in developing and emerging economies also rate high as net job creators. Technological advancement through increased adoption of new and frontier technologies and increased digital access are expected to drive job growth in more than half of survey companies, offset by expected job displacement in one-fifth companies. The net job creation effect places these two trends in sixth and eighth place, respectively. The three key drivers of expected net job destruction are slower economic growth, supply shortages, and the rising costs of inputs and the rising cost of living for consumers. Employers also recognize that increased geopolitical divisions and the ongoing impact of the COVID-19 pandemic will drive labor market disruption, which is the whole point, with an even split without employer between employers who expect these trends to have a positive impact and employers who expect them to have a negative impact on jobs. Within technology, adoption, big data, cloud computing, and AI feature highly on likelihood of adoption. More than 75% of companies are looking to adopt these technologies in the next five years. The data also shows the impact of the digitalization of commerce and trade. Digital platforms and apps are the technologies most likely to be adopted by the organization's survey, with 86% of companies expecting to incorporate them into their operations in the next five years. E-commerce and digital trade are expected to be adopted by 75% of businesses. The second-ranked technology encompasses education and workforce technologies, with 81% of companies looking to adopt these technologies by 2027. The adoption of robots, power storage technology, and distribution distributed, distributed ledger technologies rank lower on the list. The impact of most technologies on jobs is expected to be a net positive over the next five years. That's good. Big data analytics, climate change, and environmental management technologies and Encryption and cybersecurity are expected to be the biggest drivers of job growth. Agriculture, technologies, digital platforms and apps, e-commerce and digital trade and AI are all expected to result in significant labor market disruption with substantial proportions of companies forecasting job displacement in their organizations offset by job growth elsewhere to result in a net positive. All but two technologies are expected to be net job creators in the next five years, humanoid robots and non-humanoid robots. So yes, the rise of the machines, not just a title for this episode. It is true. Oh, wow. The human machine frontier has shifted with businesses introducing automation into their operations at a slower pace than previously anticipated. Organizations today estimate that 34% of all business-related tasks are performed by machines, with the remaining 66% performed by humans. This represents a negligible 1% increase in the level of automation that was estimated by respondents to the 2020 edition of the Future of Jobs survey. This place, this pace of automation contradicts expectations from 2020 survey respondents that almost half, 47% of business tasks would be automated in the following five years. 
Today, respondents have revised down their expectations for future automation to predict that 42% of business tasks will be automated by 2027. Task automation in 2027 is expected to vary from 37% of reasoning and decision-making to 65% of information and data processing. But while expectations of the displacement of physical and manual work by machines has, incre- has decreased, reasoning, communicating, and coordinating all traits with a comparative, comparative, uh, comparative yeah. uh, advantage for humans are expected to be more automa- automatable in the future. Artificial intelligence, a key driver of potential algorithmic displacement, is expected to be adopted by nearly 75% of survey companies and is expected to lead to high churn, with 50% of organizations expecting it to create job growth and 25% expecting it to create job losses. So yeah, that's where we're at on that. Yeah, there's more, but it's like, if you want to read it, go ahead and read it, I guess. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Then we have this lovely little article about AI from WEF. Good old WEF. AI is shaping the metaverse, but how? Industry expert, experts explain, May 9th, 2023. So you're not hearing a lot about the metaverse, but it is popping up every once in a while and things that I'm seeing. And yes, the AI revolution as they call it is to bring in the meta bring us into the metaverse that's the whole point so this says i don't want to read the whole thing but it says in the key you know parts of it this is by kelly amundsen chief of staff head global collaboration with world economic forum village member executive committee world economic forum and head of content cur- cur- curation global JC, stupid name Eisenberg Novin, Collaboration Village World Economic Forum. The World Economic Forum, in partnership with Accenture and Microsoft, it's all connected, recently hosted a learning session for the partners of the forum's own metaverse, the Global Collaboration Village. The partner organizations shared how they are deploying AI to contribute to their conceptualization of the metaverse. Partners expressed a desire to explore the integration of generative AI to accelerate metaverse development. So here's some things here. Supporting research and innovation. Lawrence Berteau, leader of Platform Initiative at Tecnologico de Monterrey. It is embarking on an exciting journey of research and discovery to utilize generative AI alongside and within the metaverse as a research platform. The vibrant innovation hub at one of Latin America's leading tech research institutes is spearheading a program to create digital twins of innovation systems within the metaverse. The institute's digital twins technology will allow users in the metaverse to connect. Users can communicate with researchers and innovators in real time within the metaverse. Create. Users from around the world can collaborate within the platform to create solutions that benefit humanity Experiment, digital labs will exist in the metaverse for product validation, 
brainstorming and innovative product project acceleration. Experience, experiences will be simulated in the metaverse through virtual and augmented reality and access. Users will have access to a real to real-time data generated by fellow users of the metaverse community. There's gonna be a metaverse community, guys. Let's get ready. Um, then they have some more stuff in here. It says the promise of generative AI to scale up the metaverse. Generative AI, which involves using artificial intelligence to create content autonomous at damn it, autonomously, such as images, music, and text, is already becoming an ever more prom prominent part of everyday business activities and our daily lives. That's the whole point, right? We got to normalize it, right? And have people use it. When combined with metaverse technologies, virtual spaces where people can interact, collaborate, and experience virtual reality, a whole new arena of possibilities for immersive and interactive experiences arise. The integration of generative AI and the metaverse can create dynamic virtual environments where AI-generated content can adapt and respond to users' actions, creating personalized and engaging experiences. It can also enable new forms of art. They're trying to wipe out art with humans, human generated art, um, entertainment and communication, pushing the boundaries of what is possible in the virtual realm. The partner organizations expressed great hope for generative AI to rapidly scale the development of the universe, universe, the metaverse, which is not the universe, allowing for unique content to be generated easily and not necessarily by expert developers only. Oh, Klaus, Klaus came in. They are only at the beginning of our AI journey, said Professor Klaus Schwab, founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. AI will have a fundamentally transformative impact on almost everything we do. And the implications of AI in the global collaboration village will help us to better understand, I can't do his accent anymore, challenges, I could never, <laughs> facilitate deeper collaboration and generate greater, imp greater impact for the global community. I tried, that was the best I can do. Sorry, I'm not a genius. Um, That's that's heartwarming information. I'm very excited about the future. I don't know about you guys. So let's do a, a little a little more on AI here, and then well, actually, let's switch from AI to back to the Bilderberg 2023. So Bilderberg 2023 happened, and what was on the agenda? You might ask. Well, AI, of course. Um. It wasn't at the top of the agenda, like CNBC's sites in this article. It's not really true. But if you look at the, I, I will tell you what it was. Um, let me go to Bilderberg meetings, and I'll tell you what the, because I don't remember, so I'm going to tell you what the topics of discussion were. All you have to do yourself is go to BilderbergMeetings.org. You go there, you get to the page, it shows you the participants can be found here. You go there, you get the list, the press release, you get the participants, and right here you have the key topics for discussion this year, which were 
AI, banking system, China, energy transition, Europe, fiscal challenges, India, industrial policy and trade, NATO, 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 Russia, transnational threats, Ukraine, U.S. leadership. That is all in order. So technically, AI is at the top of the list, but not because of any reason. Anyway, key points in this article from Karen Gilchrist from May 18, 2023, are OpenAI CEO Sam Altman will join forces with key leadership from Microsoft, DeepMind, and Google on Thursday as the secretive Bilderberg meeting kickstarts. Artificial intelligence will be a key focus of the talks between members of the business and political elite in Lisbon, Portugal. This happened on May 18th, by the way. The annual Bilderberg event is shrouded in mystery with discussions held behind closed doors and under Chatham House rules. So it says OpenAI CEO Sam Altman will join forces with key leadership from companies like Microsoft and Google this week. That would be Eric Schmidt, by the way. As a And so the one with the S name, I forgot it. Um, that one. Not, not yet, whatever the fuck their name is. This week as a secret meeting of, meeting of the business and political elite kickstarts in Lisbon, Portugal. It will top the agenda, not really, as the chat GPT chief meets with Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella. There it is, Nadella, thanks. Um, deep mind head Demis Hazabis and former Google CEO Eric Schmidt, who's always invited at the annual Bilderberg meeting. Oh, here we go. The tech titans will be joined by political heavyweights, including former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. Shout out to him. His birthday was yesterday. He's 100 years old and he's still alive. Isn't that wonderful for all of us? Yay. Maybe he'll die by the time this airs. Uh, Probably not. Um, He's probably still alive, but we can hope for the best. Um, Anyway. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, of course, and Ukrainian Foreign Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba for a range of discussions spanning international relations, trade, energy, and finance. All in, around 130 participants from 23 countries are set to attend the private meeting, a similar number to previous years. Pfizer CEO Albert Borla, mm -hmm, BP Chief Bernard Looney, what a fun name, Total Energies CEO Patrick Puyan, investor Peter Thiel, and a number of EU politicians will also be there. The three-day event, which this year runs from Thursday to Sunday, is shrouded in mystery with clandestine talks held behind closed doors and subject to Chatham House rules, meaning the identity and affiliation of speakers must not be disclosed. That has sparked conspiracy theories. Oh, similar to those leveled at, against high-level meetings like the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, which is not really the same, but okay. By those who claim attendees are seeking to establish a new world order, uh, in quotes. Like they never said that, of course. However, the event's organizers say that the discreet nature of it is to allow for greater freedom of discussion. And we should just believe everything that these old fucks are saying, right? Yeah. What is on the agenda in 2023? Says what I said. And the talks come as the rollout of artificial intelligence tools such as OpenAI's ChatGPT and Google's Bard have added to mounting concerns around the rapid development of technology with Altman's call to testify before the U.S. Senate on Tuesday. And isn't that just the most 
amazing coincidence ever that that would happen at that time. Meanwhile, the ongoing war in Ukraine and concerns over rising China threats have become a source of continued discussion among Western leaders, with signs of division in U.S. and European policy rising over recent months. And then it says, what is Bilderberg? Yeah, I, I already know what that is. I don't need you to tell me. But anyway, that's that. So that's as much um, mainstream foot, uh, information you're going to get about Bilderberg as possible this year. Uh, so shout out to CNBC for doing something, I guess. It's better than nothing. Uh, so back to AI. So what's AI going to do? Let's see what it what people are talking about on CNBC specifically at the moment. Uh, this is from two days ago. So this is pretty recent. Um, this is Harvey Mason Jr., CEO of the Recording Academy, and Peter T. Paterno, partner at King Holmes Paterno and Soriano, joining Power Lunch to discuss the impact of AI on the music industry. So how AI could affect the music industry with these fuckers. Orchestrated the way Tina's songs were orchestrated, and I want it to sound... Hold on, like let me go back. ...with an AI-generating music machine. And say, I would like you to write... Hold on, let me go back again. Damn, shit. Community. Hold on a second. And, and what would the potential damage be to the creative community if, for example, I were able to interact with an AI-generating music machine? and say, I would like you to write me a song in the genre of Tina Turner. I want it orchestrated the way Tina's songs were orchestrated, and I want it to sound like Tina Turner. Well, first off, that's happening and it's going to happen. And of course there are risks associated with it. We need to figure out how uh, the original creator, or in that case, Tina would be compensated, but- it's That's Harvey Mason AI is here. People are using it. Creators are going to deploy it to be more creative. Ever since the evolution of, you know, darn near the drum, technology has changed the way people create music. And I don't see it being any different with AI. There are some nuances that hopefully we're going to discuss and need to be talked about, but it's a new version of technology that's going to enable creators hopefully to do more. Uh, I'm seeing everything from people being terrified to death about AI to people being extremely excited about the potential of AI. And it's all over the map. Could and, it, and we can talk about the reason. Could it hollow out the, the, the creators, the human creators? Yes. I mean, there is, as, as Brian Grazer said, there is no way that a, that, a, that a bot can have the human experience that creates the kind of plaintive sound, the emotional uh, valent uh, that, that, that real human-created music has? Well, personally, as a creator, I believe that's absolutely true. And at the Academy, we are working to find ways to make sure that that remains the case. But emotion, heart, passion, feeling, storytelling is always going to have a human component to it, regardless of what technology does. That is crazy to me. Okay, so... So basically, yeah, like, I don't know where... How I got here. Okay. All right. YouTube being weird. Okay. So that's also in the testimony or there was like a, a Senate hearing with AI people, for lack of a better, technology companies or whatever, and um, about AI and had some people testifying 
who are creators and they were saying how this, the human touch is so important and like human experiences and how, you know, this composer was talking about like composing something and it takes so long and there's so much involved in it and so much emotion and everything. And that's not going to exist in the AI version of it or whatever. So yeah, that is a complaint that people are having as creators and whatnot. Um, and then there's also the, it's all connected because the WGA thing is mainly about, it's about compensation, the strike, but it's also about the introduction of AI. And I, I've conducted a few interviews about that and you can check it out on my channel, my YouTube channel at AKL Latham, AKL Latham and see, you know, that's, that's a part of it as well. And then same thing with SAG-AFTRA who are trying to get a strike authorization right now. So it's going to put a lot of people out of business. And I think that's partly why it exists. So let's move on. Um, this is called, here's how this company is using AI to improve drive-through process. So they're already using it through drive and in drive-throughs. Uh, AI take your order using AI at the drive-through. Anyway, this is from CNBC as well. Two days ago, Krish Krishna Gupta, CEO and chairman at Presto Automation, joins Power Lunch to explain how his com company uses AI to improve drive-through processes in the food industry. So here we go. Krishna Gupta is the chairman and CEO of Presto Automation. Welcome. You're here on set with us. You guys are a public company now, market cap just over $100 million. And oh, maybe welcome. Maybe a tangible way for a lot of people to relate to. Oh, welcome. Uh, thank you for joining. I really appreciate it. Stick around, please. <laughs> AI. What exact? Tell us the backstory. Great to be here today. And um, the backstory is quite simple. You know, at the end of the day, We've been in the restaurant industry, the restaurant technology industry for a long time. Um, over the pandemic, we realized that drive-through and automating drive-throughs happened to be one of the most immediately actionable applications. And that's another part of it. So yeah, the fucking lockdowns and everything facilitated the usage of AI or the, the normalization and the automation of many industries. So that was part of getting us ready for this moment of enterprise AI and then enter generative voice and generative AI. And that actually makes all of this even more compelling. So we, we think we've sort of stumbled upon this, this amazing convergence of the technology being ready just at this time and the market being ready with labor costs going up and people realizing like, wow, we should be doing this. I'm getting calls from restaurant CEOs, from franchise operators, from board members being like, how can we get this into our, our system now? So and it says, oh, sorry. Here today. It says um, that Hardee's uses this and also these other restaurants. Hold on, let me get this back. Beep, 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 beep. This time and the market being ready with labor costs going up and people realizing like, wow, we should be doing this. I'm getting calls from restaurant CEOs, from franchise operators, from board members being like, how can we? So Hardee's, Carl's Jr., by the way, same company. Interesting. Checkers and Del Taco are Get using this. Our, our system now. So I guess one of the great frustrations when I interact with a, a voice, whether it's service, whether it's at a restaurant, whether it's a service call I make to Delta Airlines, I, I'm not picking on Delta Airlines particularly. 
they I am. Fuck Delta. To have or be able to answer the question that I have. Will AI enable it so that the question I want answered, they can actually answer? Well, it's a really good question. So I think there's an important distinction to draw between drive-through and customer yes, service in yes. more complex areas. Um, and so in drive-through, the nice thing is it's a relatively confined problem set, and I'm working off a menu that's particular to a brand or particular to a franchise. And so I can understand your control. question, and I can control it, and I can answer. It's now it's not trivial. There are a lot of complexities in it, and which is why it's an interesting problem to work I want on. No pickles and no lettuce. Yeah, and then I want a strawberry. Milk. Oh no, actually, I want a chocolate milkshake. And it's like you know, okay, I want the special of the day, but it's not the special of the day. So there's all that. Now the interesting thing is, you're talking about Delta Airlines has a 95 percent order success rate. I think to to answer your question and make you a satisfied customer for Delta Airlines. Um, involves and requires a certain amount of emotional and cognitive intelligence, which the drive-through doesn't necessarily do. But I was actually sitting down with the CEO of a big customer uh, or big potential customer yesterday, and he said the top 5% of order takers in the drive-throughs are actually very emotionally intelligent. Mm -hmm. So if we can now make, use the AI to make 100% every up. single order taker be emotionally intelligent and cognitive. And or, you know... Get emotionally intelligent people. Oh, wait, we can't afford those. It's ch cheaper to make all these fucking generative AI chatbot things. Accurate. For 100% of orders, that's, that's transformation. And, and let me just yeah. offer the observation yeah. that that both offers you a viable sort of business if, if people want to tie up with you. And you're actually able to increase revenue at some of these partners, for instance, by upselling people on the drive-thru. So as we think through the implications, you know, there I think yours is one of the most tangible. That's right. No, upsell. The upsell engine is, is supremely important to the ROI for the customers. Um, the labor savings are nice, but at the end of the day, if you can increase the check size or your overall revenue on a store for five, six percent, right? That is massive. Yeah, Chris. Yeah. All right. And then there's another video here from the same channel. AI industry is not. Re unregulated under current laws, says CFPB Director Rohit Chopra. Rohit Chopra, Director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, Sinead Bovell, a futurist, what the fuck is that, but all right, and WAYE founder, and C, and probably Weffer, let's be honest, and CNBC's Steve Kovach, Join Power Lunch to discuss the potential threat of AI and what regulations are needed to avoid the bad outcomes from this technological revolution. See, they're just like overwhelming people with information about AI in their web and their shows to like really drive it home what the initiative is. Um, here we go. How are you thinking about AI as specifically it affects consumer protection, financial protection? Well, one of the things that I just don't think is true is that AI is unregulated. In fact, many of the uses of automated decision-making, um, the, the, the current laws apply. We have anti-discrimination laws. We have laws against deception. We have Are we going to have that for AI, by the way? Are they going to be like a protected class in the future? Do we know this? This relate to employment, so many others. And one of the things we like to make clear to the companies we supervise is that your machine or your AI is not some exemption out of the existing law. We see how AI is being used in customer service, in 
blending and originations. And we're looking about how this dude is slow. I'm going to make him faster. Hold on. I'm going to make him faster. Discrimination laws. Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. We heard it. Your machine or your AI is not some exemption out of the existing law. We see how AI is being used in customer service. I just sped him up a little bit. Sorry. And we're looking about how the existing laws on the books can actually rein in some of those abuses. Yes, there are other places. We may need more rules, but I just want to make sure as an initial step that people aren't using their machine as an excuse to violate existing law. Shanique, what are your concerns and where do you think regulators should be most focused? Yeah, I mean, my concerns kind of fall into to three categories, right? We have the, the shorter term risks, the disruption these systems could have to our information ecosystems. Uh, so what does democracy look like in a world where it's not just human generating content, but artificial intelligence uh, at mass scale, people kind of mass producing misinformation, disinformation. <laughs> there so it is. Into the midterm, um, or medium term Midterm. She, she made a mistake there. Workforce. And then there's this longer term category where there is a little bit more controversy. Uh, things like AI alignment and control. Uh, and that part of, of the risk spectrum seems to get a lot of focus. But I think regulators really do need to be kind of zooming in to, to the short term and the medium term risks. And then long term risks need to stay in this category of exploration and research. I love how she just threw in the whole like disinformation, misinformation thing. Um, so you might be wondering also, how does this connect to Elon Musk and what he's doing now? Well, <laughs> and the transhumanist agenda that I brought up before. Um, you might not have heard, you might have heard, but this has happened. So let's get to this. Just listen. Elon Musk's Neuralink announcing it received FDA approval for its first in-human clinical trial, meaning that it will be able to test in-human interesting in people's brains. Anjali Kamalani is here with the details. Anj, what do we need to know? Obviously, a massive milestone here for the company. That's right. It is a huge milestone. They're finally, after four uh, guesses and attempts by uh, Mr. Musk, as well as a failed uh, or rather a rejected uh, filing last year, the company is finally able to move forward in its human trials. Now, this is just the first step, as we know, and uh, they did let us know by Twitter, of course, yesterday, uh, saying in a tweet that they have received the approval, which is the first step, and that recruitment has not yet begun for the trial, and they'll be giving out more information later. So this is literally all we know right now about where that stands. Um, we do know that, of course, the company has faced a lot of pushback in the form of regulatory inquiries from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, looking into uh, how it how it uh, dealt with the animals that it used for the the initial you know animal trials, as well as the Department of Transportation on whether or not they transported properly pathogens uh, with that were used mm. in uh, monkeys, as well as the um, as well as Congress urging for regulators to investigate. The, in, the experiments and how quickly they came to be some reports suggesting that it was uh, added additional press, pressure and discomfort for these animals because of the pace at which the company was trying to get to these human trials. So a lot to wait and see. She forgot to mention that, like, we'll get to this, but a lot of them died. Okay how this moves forward, how many people will be enrolled or, or allowed to be enrolled in the trials, and whether or not the company will look to the NIH and the government ah. for assistance with these trials. We know that they have that would be rejected 
any uh, additional, you know, animal level trial help. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how that pans out. She yeah, could not this, this get is through that space in fast enough. Um, this is Elon Musk's Neuralink approved by FDA for human trials. Yahoo Finance. So we're going to them. So that's not disturbing at all. And then I just left like under their little notice, their little press release on their little Twitter, their tweet. Under their tweet, I said, good luck, humans. And I shared this lovely article from Guardian, The Guardian. Musk's Neuralink faces federal inquiry after killing 1,500 animals in testing. And it's five months old, which is interesting because he wanted to get this done within six months, as you'll see. Um, December 6, 2022. Brain implant company accused of causing needless suffering and deaths amid pressure from CEO. So let's see here. I don't want to read the whole thing, but let me give you the key points that I'm going to figure out. I don't want to reject the cookies. Can I reject them? No? Cool. Oh, I can. Okay. Uh, They don't let me reject them. Oh, they do. Okay. Sweet. All right. The cookies are rejected. We shall move on. And I will do it unmolested by that stupid message. Elon Musk's Neuralink, a medical device company, is under federal investigation for potential animal welfare violations amid internal staff complaints that its animal testing is being rushed, causing needless suffering and deaths, according to documents reviewed by Reuters and sources familiar with the investigation and company operations. Neuralink Corp. is developing a brain implant it hopes will help paralyze people walk again and cure other neurological ailments by giving monkeys implants. Okay. The federal investigation, which has not been previously reported, was opened in recent months by the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Inspector General at the request of a federal prosecutor, according to two sources with knowledge of the investigation. The inquiry, one of the sources said, and they are anonymous, so we take whatever we hear with a very big grain of salt, um, a pillar of salt. Uh, focuses on violations of the Animal Welfare Act, which governs how researchers treat and test some animals. The investigation has come at a time of growing employee dissent about Neuralink's animal testing, including complaints that pressure from Musk to accelerate development has resulted in botched experiments, according to a Reuters review of dozens of Neuralink documents and interviews, which is more what I'm interested in, the facts of the matter with more than 20 current and former employees. Such failed tests have had to be repeated, increasing the number of animals being tested and killed, the employees say. The company documents include previously unreported messages, audio recordings, emails, presentations, and reports. Musk and other Neuralink executives did not respond to requests for comment. I'm sure they didn't. Reuters could not determine the full scope of the federal investigation or whether it involved the same alleged problems with animal testing identified by employees in Reuters interviews. So let's go down. Okay. But current and 
Former Neuralink employers say the number of animal deaths is higher than it needs to be for reasons related to Musk's demands to speed research. Through company discussions and documents spanning several years, along with employee interviews, Reuters identified four experiments involving 86 pigs and two monkeys that were marred in recent years by human errors. The mistakes weakened the experiment's research value and required the test to be repeated, leading to more animals being killed. Three of the current and former staffers said, the three people attributed the mistakes to a lack of preparation by a testing staff working in a pressure cooker environment. One employee in a message seen by Reuters, not us, I guess, wrote an angry missive this year to colleagues about the need to overhaul how the company organizes animal surgeries to prevent hack jobs. The rush schedule, the employee wrote, resulted in underprepared and overstressed staffers scrambling to meet deadlines and making last-minute changes before surgeries, raising risks to animals. Musk has pushed hard to accelerate Neuralink's progress, which depends heavily on animal testing, current and former employees said. This year, the chief executive sent staffers a news article about Swiss researchers who developed an an electrical implant that helped a paralyzed man walk to walk again. We could enable people to use their hands and walk again in daily life, he wrote to staff at 6.37 a.m. Pacific time on February 8th. Ten minutes later, he followed up. In general, we are simply not moving fast enough. It is driving me nuts. On several occasions over the years, Musk has told employees to imagine they had a bomb strapped to their heads in an effort to get them to move faster, according to three sources who repeatedly heard the comment. On one occasion a few years ago, he told employees he would trigger a market failure at Neuralink unless they made more progress, a comment perceived by some employees as a threat to shut down operations, according to a former staffer who heard the comment. His comment. By people who have worked on Neuralink's animal experiments, told Reuters they had raised concerns internally. They said they had advocated for a more traditional testing approach in which researchers would test one element at a time in an animal study and draw relevant conclusions before moving on to more animal tests. Instead, these people said, Neuralink launches tests in quick succession before fixing issues in earlier tests or drawing complete conclusions. The result, more animals overall are tested and killed in part because the research I mean, because the approach leads to repeated tests. One former employee who asked management several years ago for more deliberate testing was told by a senior executive it wasn't possible given Musk's demands for speed, the employee said. Two people told Reuters they had left the company over concerns about animal research. The problems with Neuralink's testing have raised questions internally about the quality of the resulting data, three current or former employees said. Such problems could delay the company's bid to start human trials, which Musk has said the company wants to do within the next six months. It's been less than six months since this article. What in the fuck? They also add to a growing list of headaches for Musk, who is facing criticism of his management of Twitter, which we've already gone into and everything. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration is in 
charge of reviewing the company's applications for approval of its medical device and, and associated trials. The company's tr treatment of animals during research, however, is regulated by the USDA under the Animal Welfare Act. The FDA didn't immediately comment. Uh, so then it says some Neuralink rivals are having more success. Synchron, which was launched in 2016, is developing a different implant with less ambitious goals for medical advances, received FDA approval to start human trials in 2021. The company's device has allowed paralyzed people to text and type by thinking alone. Creepy as fuck. Synchron has also conducted tests on animals, but it has killed only about 80 sheep as part of its research. It's still too much for me, but whatever. According to studies of the Synchron implant reviewed by Reuters, Musk approached Synchron about a potential investment. Of course he did. Reuters reported in August. They declined to comment. In some ways, Neuralink treats animals quite well compared with other research facilities. Oh, they're trying to help them out here. Employees said in interviews, echoing public statements by Musk and other executives. Company leaders have boasted internally of building a monkey Disneyland in the company's Austin, Texas facility where lab animals can roam, a former employee said. In the company's early years, Musk told employees he wanted the monkeys at his San Francisco Bay Area operation to live in a monkey Taj Mahal, said a former employee who heard the comment. Another former employee recall, recalled Musk saying he disliked using animals for research but wanted to make sure they were the happiest animals while alive. The animals have fared less well, however, when used in the company's research, current and former employees say the first complaints about the company's testing involved its initial partnership with University of California Davis to conduct the experiments in February and animal rights group. The Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine filed a complaint with the USDA accusing the Neuralink UC Davis project of botching surgeries that killed monkeys and publicly released its findings. The group alleged that Surgeons used the wrong surgical glue twice, which led to two monkeys suffering and dying, while other monkeys had, had different complications from the implants. The company has acknowledged it killed six monkeys on the advice of UC Davis veterinary staff because of health problems caused by experiments. It, caused, it called the issue with the glue a complication from the use of an FDA-approved product. In response to a Reuters inquiry, a UC Davis sport spokesperson shared a previous public statement defending its research with Neuralink and saying it followed all laws and regulations. A federal prosecutor in the Northern District of California referred the animal rights group's complaint to the USDA Inspector General, which has since launched a formal investigation according to a source with direct knowledge of it. USDA investigators then inquired about the allegations involving the UC Davis monkey research, according to two sources familiar with the matter and emails and messages reviewed by Reuters. The investigation is concerned with the testing and treatment of animals in Neuralink's own facilities, one of the sources said, without elaborating. In 2020, Neuralink brought the program in-house and it has since built its extensive facilities in California and Texas. A spokesperson for the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Northern District of Columbia declined to comment. And then we have more about animal stuff. The mistakes leading to unnecessary animal deaths, including one instance in 2021 when 25 out of 60 pigs in a study 
had devices that were the wrong size implanted in their heads, an error that could have been avoided with more preparation. According to a person with knowledge of the situation and company documents and communications reviewed by Reuters, the mistake raised alarm along Neuralink's researchers, among them. In, many, in, in, many, in May 2021, Victor Carazia, a scientist, wrote to colleagues that the mistake could be a red flag to FDA reviewers of the study, guess it wasn't, which the company planned to submit as part of its application to begin human trials. His colleagues agreed, and the experiment was repeated with 36 sheep, according to the person with knowledge of the situation. All the animals, both the pigs and the sheep, were killed after the procedures, the person said. Carazia did not comment in response to requests. On another occasion, staff accidentally implanted Neuralink's device on the wrong vertebra of two different pigs during two separate surgeries, according to two sources with knowledge of the matter and documents reviewed by Reuters. The incident frustrated several employees who said the mistakes on two separate occasions could have easily been avoided by carefully counting the vertebrae before inserting the the device. The company veterinarian Sam Baker advised his colleagues to immediately kill one of the pigs to end her suffering. Based on low chance of full recovery and her current poor psychological well-being, it was decided that euthanasia was the only appropriate course of action. He wrote colleagues about one of the pigs a day after the surgery, adding a broken heart emoji. (laughs) Why? Why though? Didn't comment. Employees have sometimes pushed back on Musk's demands to move fast. In a company discussion several months ago, some Neuralink employees protested after a manager said that Musk had encouraged them to do a complex surgery on pigs soon. The employees resisted on the grounds that the surgery's complexity would lengthen the amount of time the pigs would be under youth, under anesthesia, risking their health and recovery. They argued they should first figure out how to cut down the time it would take to do the surgery. It's hard on the little piggies, one of the employees said, referring to the lengthy period under anesthesia. In September, the company responded to employee concerns about its animal testing by holding a town hall to explain its processes. It soon after opened up the meetings to staff of its federally mandated board that reviews the animal experiments. Neuralink executives have since publicly have said publicly that the company tests animals only when it was has exhausted other research options, but Documents and company messages suggest otherwise. During a November 30th presentation, the company broadcast on YouTube, for example, Musk said, surgeries were used at a later stage of the process to confirm that the device worked rather than to test early hypotheses. We're extremely careful, he said, to make sure that testing is confirmatory, not exploratory, using animal testing as a last resort after trying other methods. In October, a month before his comments, Autumn Sorrells, the head of animal care, ordered employees to scrub exploration from study titles retroactively and stop using it in the future. Neuralink records reviewed by Reuters contained numerous references over several years to exploratory surgeries, and three people with knowledge of the company's research strongly rejected the assertion that Neuralink avoids exploratory tests on animals. Company discussions reviewed by Reuters showed 
several ex employers expressing concerns about Sorrell's request to change exploratory study description, saying it would be inaccurate and misleading. One noted that the request seemed designed to provide better optics for Neuralink. So yeah, that's fun. Um, then we got the jobs information. Like we already went over pretty much everything that AI is doing right now. So I wanted to do a biometric update because we haven't done one of those in a while. So here's what's happening with the global digital identity thing according to biometricupdate.com. Um, and I haven't read this yet, so this is going to be fun. Um, so yeah, that's biometricupdate.com. Mache Borak wrote this May 19, 2023. Universal global digital identity still seven years away, OIX presenter says. Conference explores... EUDI progress. So this is from Europe, pretty much at the beginning. Excuse me, I live in Hollywood. It's a hellhole. If you hear that. Um, okay, so it says Europe is currently rushing to launch its digital ID project, the European Digital ID Identity Wallet, EUDI, governed by the e, uh, EL, I guess that's an L, I don't know, DAS, regulation. Around 18 to 24 months after the regulation comes into force, all 27 EU member states will make a digital identity available to every citizen who wants one. But the timeline for actual adoption may be years away, according to experts. You have some time to, to not do that. Meanwhile, new products such as Earth ID are trying to make digital identity available to everyone, including those who do not have access to high-end phones. Okay. Open Identity Exchange Conference highlights EUDI's slow progress. This week, nonprofit trade organization, the Open Identity Exchange, held a conference discussing these developments and demonstrating digital ID wallets. The event titled OIX Identity Trust Update was held at Rise London, Barclays' global fintech platform. The EU hopes that 80% of EU citizens will have adopted a digital identity wallet by 2030. David Goodman. Oh, that's like Agenda 2030. Agenda 2030, right? It's called that now. It was Agenda 21, and now it's called that. David Goodman, director at Identitas <laughs> Consulting, said during the event, the idea that we're still seven years away from the dream of universal global identity for everyone is sobering, he notes. He presented the current state of LDAS, the regulation governing EU's digital identity, which is still in progress. Four large-scale pilots have just started, including the EU Digital Identity Wallet Consortium, EWC, Digital Credentials for Europe, DC4E, the Nordic Baltic ELD, EID, it's an I, God damn it, <laughs> no BID, and Pilots for Digital Identities Wallet Potential with hundreds of, oh, I see what they did there. No, I don't. I really don't, though. Do I? I don't know. Anyway, with hundreds of participants. In addition, interinstitutional Discussions 
known as trialogues, trialogues, okay, that's new, are taking place right now with hopes that the regulation will come into force in the fourth quarter, says Goodman. The EWC pilot, for instance, covers all member states and has 41 beneficiaries and 35 associated partners. It is led by the Bullocksfergit, the Swedish registry office. It kicked off 1st of April. The first face-to-face meeting is going to be next week, says Goodman. One of the companies involved in EWC is data exchange platform iGrant, looking primarily into travel use cases, payments, and the organizational digital identity, a wallet for legal entities. Lal Chandran, co-founder and CTO, CTO of iGrant.io presented a typical wallet ecosystem. Typically, a system consists of the individual and the data source, also known as the data issuer or the data producer, as well as a data using service or a data consumer. The data source is issuing any information that can be held by the individual or the data wallet holder. That information could be shared with any third-party provider. As a company that provides data intermediation services, iGrant provides the pipeline between endpoints via the wallet technologies. The entire work that we do as a company is supporting organizations to adopt these wallet technologies and associated technologies that make the data exchange happen in a way that is fully auditable, says Chandran iGrant, which is owned by Swedish company L-Cubed, is also t- taking part in creating the NoBID pilot. EarthID wins UK Smart Grant. Decentralized identity plat- platform I- EarthID, which is working in partnership with City University of London, was awarded with the Innovate UK Smart Grant funding. The funding will be used to develop a user-centric device agnostic self-sovereign identity wallet for fraud prevention called the space wallet the company said in a statement our partnership with city university of london will enable us to develop a cutting-edge solution that will prevent fraud and provide a seamless user experience says priya giuliani CEO of EarthID, we are excited about the potential of self-sovereign sovereign identity to transform the financial industry, and we are grateful for the support of Innovate UK in helping us make this vision a reality. Space Wallet was created to help organizations to manage digital ID credentials and provide users with control over personal information. EarthID claims that organizations can save up to 80% in expenses and 90% of their time with their product. It is also different from existing solutions that rely on high-end smartphones, creating accessibility barriers for people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, according to the company. As we move from the physical to the metaverse, what? They're saying it right there. It will become increasingly more important to manage our identity credentials, payments, and digital assets, says Murukrishnan. No, Muru, Murukrishnan Rajaharan. Nope. Rajaran. Why is there two R's? Rajaran. Ran. Rajaran. Whatever. Director of CUL's Institute for Cybersecurity. 
Hence, the necessity to own a digital wallet that is secure, provide, preserves privacy, and is interoperable. Well, what the fuck? I don't trust them to do that, but whatever. Moving on to more fun news from biometricupdate.com. This is about Microsoft. Back to Microsoft. May 26, 2023 by William McCurdy. Microsoft outlines approach to regulating risks of its biometric tech. Let's see what their idea is here. The company says, uh, okay, so let's start here. This includes, okay, no, the company claims to have declined to build and deploy specific AI applications after concluding that the projects were not sufficiently aligned with our responsible AI standard and, re- and principles. This included vetoing a local California police department's request for real-time facial recognition via body-worn cameras and dash cams in patrol scenarios, calling this use premature. The sensitive uses review process helped form the internal view that there needed to be a societal conversation around the use of facial recognition and that laws need to be established, needed to be established. The report also outlined its limited access policy under which Microsoft sometimes requires potential customers to apply to use and disclose their intended use to make sure it meets one of our predefined acceptable use cases. Microsoft also described how it polices its Azure AI's custom neural voice application, which is used by AT&T. The company says in this case it limited customer access to the service, ensured acceptable use cases were defined and communicated through an application form, implemented speakers, consent mechanisms, created specific terms of use that nobody reads, but okay. Published transparency documentation, 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 detailing risks and limitations and established technical guardrails to help ensure the speaker's active participation when creating a synthetic voice. The White House this week revealed its own plans to protect people from the dangers of AI. There's not really any plan, but okay. The plans mention Microsoft as well as Anthropic, Google, Hugging Face, NVIDIA, or NVIDIA, OpenAI and Stability AI, opening AI systems to government government scrutiny. All right, then we have some African news for you guys. I'm sure you'll be happy to hear about this. I am, as always. Again, biometric update. Study finds digital IDs would yield economic good in three African nations. May 26, 2023. Who conducted the study? WEF, Bianca Gonzalez. A new multinational study of African countries claims that digital IDs could save people millions and even hundreds of millions every year if applied to personal finance. South African residents could save $620 million, claims a new report. The Tony Blair Institute, I can't make this shit up, for global change. And yes, he's a WEFer, of course and a piece of shit war criminal. Study three African nations, Cote d'Ivoire, I tried, Rwanda, and South Africa to 
determine how certain marginalized groups would be impacted if they had digital IDs. The study focuses on four marginalized subpopulations, the elderly, rural females, informal retailers, and the urban unemployed. Researchers looked at particular life situations, including birth registration, medical insurance, social grants, education subsidies, vaccination, and enrollment with banks and mobile money market accounts. In Rwanda, they found that the four marginalized populations combined could save an estimated $9.7 million annually if digital ID were available for remotely opening banking, bank and mobile money accounts, remote registration and receipt of social grants and remote registration for medical insurance. Elderly Rwandans followed by informal retailers would see the greatest benefit from having digital IDs. Residents of South Africa could save roughly $620 million if a digital ID were adopted for remotely opening bank and mobile money accounts. Same shit, same shit. The elderly followed by rural women would see the greatest economic benefits if they had digital IDs, according to the study. It also found that marginalized groups in Cotabara could save $43.7 million if a digital ID is adopted to remotely register for education subsidies, bank and mobile money accounts and births. The the urban unemployed followed by informal retailers would see the greatest economic impact. The study insists on the importance of using digital IDs as a tool for inclusive development. It concludes with a number of recommended actions. It ends here, and digital ID enrollment should be streamlined for registrants. Where possible, ID programs should be designed to help integrate fractured identity registry systems and expand internet coverage and digital literacy. Yeah, okay, good luck with that. Here's some more dystopian lovely news. Security vendor says fast action is needed now on deep fake voice, May 22nd, 2023. A new research report from security analyst vendor Recorded Future says voice cloning is capable of defeating voice multi-factor authentication in the wild. Authors of the report say a cross-industry approach is needed to help to keep deep fake voice in check. The report I have no mouth and I must do no and I must do crime is a nod to science fiction author Harlan Ellison's Dark Visions, but the findings it contains warrants poetic flourish. Voice cloning technology is currently being abused by threat actors in the wild, the report states. It is enabling the spread of misinformation and disinformation, as always, and increasing the effectiveness of social engineering. That's our job. The barrier to entry continues to get lower with platforms such as 11 Labs, popular Prime Voice AI, offering low-cost, browser-based options for text-to-speech conversion. Voice cloning samples such as those of celebrities, politicians, and internet personalities or influencers and are intended to create either comedic or malicious content, which is often racist, what, who, where, discriminatory or violent in nature, the report says. 
Threat actors are demonstrating effective voice-based fraud attacks, including voice phishing or vishing. For platforms like Microsoft's TTS AI model, Volley, what's with all the Wally stuff? Dolly, Bolly, stop it. <clears throat> it requires only three seconds of audio to be able to generate the clone voice. I wish somebody could clone my voice right now, right? Shit, that sounds so much better. Um, <clears throat> AI, where you at? <laughs> anyway, um, of, for example, a loved one asking for bail money. For now, techn technical limitations mean that voice cloning is primarily used for small-scale fraud, leveraging one-time samples for extortion or disinformation. Still, the results can be disastrous for individuals. This month, Canadian broadcaster the CBC reported on vo voice cloning used to defraud eight seniors in Newfoundland out of CAD 200,000, U.S. 148,000. Victims received calls during which the clone voices of their grandchildren asked them for money to cover emergency costs. In other instances, clone voices have been used in kidnapping and hostage scams. The report surveyed <clears throat> dark web chatter and found that some threat actors are not convinced current voice cloning tech is equipped to deal with certain security hurdles particularly when it comes to cloning non-English speaking voices, but they are always already, well, that's just racist. Okay. But they are already finding ways to modify it. One such workaround is voice cloning as a service or VCAAS. This is a new form of commodified cybercrime in which voice cloning specialists provide <clears throat> tailored voice cloning samples often advertising their <clears throat> services via telegram, that evil telegram, according to the report. Furthermore, the general rise in public awareness of AI has led to a spike in the number of free uh, anonymous third-party voice cloning services. Open source voice cloning software is appearing on social media and in code repositories and cyber criminals are trying to find ways to circumvent content restrictions imposed by platforms like 11 Labs, which drew the ire of posters on Reddit when it updated its community standards to deter voice cloning for nefarious purposes. The report advises organizations to act early in addressing the risks associated with voice cloning, which are growing. An industry-wide approach is required immediately in order to re preempt further threats from further advances, future advances in voice cloning technology. <clears throat> I forgot to do this one. This is a big one. That's what she said. White paper on digital ID aims to help increase trust before widespread adoption. May 26, 2023, by Joel R. McConvey, whatever. We'll just do this a little bit. Okay, because <clears throat> I am losing my voice. Fun times. The free white paper entitled Peace of Mind in the Digital Age, It's Possible, is the result of a collaboration by Beneva de Jardin Group, 
KPMG, TELUS, and Videotron with support from the nonprofit data protection organization ID Lab. Its arguments in favor of digital ID range from the practical to the economic. Digital ID offers a better user experience that's streamlined and accessible, reduces fraud risk, and lowers management costs, it says. However, statistics show that the general public and other stakeholders don't always trust these suggested solutions, which prevents them from being adopted. That's so sad. Let's all have a moment of silence. Key messages on, oh wait, I wasn't done. <laughs> Deterrents include concerns about data breaches and privacy violations and the, the sharing of sensitive biometric information, which the government would never get a hold of and use against us. Never, never, never. Key messages on digital ID. This paper sets out the definition of digital ID. Digital ID as a set of verifiable credentials specific to a person, birth certificate, driver's license, membership card, contained in a person's digital wallet and under the sole control of that person. It won't be under our control, but okay. It distinguishes digital ID from personal identifiers such as a digital SIM. A primary benefit of digital ID and digital wallets is control over one's personal information. Its data and biometrics can be parsed out for particular situations, meaning there is less risk of sharing data that does not need to be shared or of stolen personal information being exploited by bad actors. Personal information breaches and cyber attacks have intensified in recent years on purpose, and identity fraud has followed the same trend, says the paper. Collectively, we have come to the point where we must reinvent the way we identify ourselves in both the digital and physical worlds. The way forward is to introduce digital identities. So yeah, it says, if the white paper has an overarching message, it is that digital ID is necessary and inevitable, but that there is still much work to be done in winning people's trust in the technology. No shit. The tech sector has not yet convinced many people it can or it will keep their data safe. I don't know why we would feel um, uneasy with that. Widespread adoption of digital IDs could provide better data protection, better control over how personal information is shared, and better services. But as underlined by the image on the final page of the white paper, a larger hand reaching out to a smaller one, there will need to be hand holding for the majority to embrace it. We need to take the time to educate the public, introduce digital IDs, show how it will fit into our day-to-day -day lives, and how it will make it easier for us to access public services or businesses, the paper says. It, it concludes with a restatement of purpose and a whiff of self-congratulation. This white paper is part of the desire to foster a common understanding. All right, sure. And I think I want to leave it there on the biometric update. And then... What? Thanks for joining. Love you guys. Um, let's go to AI jobs. This was a funny thing that I watched. Back to AI. Oh, this is really long. That's what she said. Oh, not this one. I didn't want that one. I wanted the other one. Let me do the other one. Okay. 
And then I'll do the default part. Sorry about that. This is fun. All right, the popularity of generative AI programs like ChatGPT grow. So do worries about how they will affect our jobs. Yahoo Finance report. They're taking our jobs. Here with a survey on workers' concerns. Allie, I feel like every other day we're talking about the fear around AI. What is this particular Yeah, yeah, you are. You, you, you really are. You, you're doing that. That's, that's what you're doing. Survey site. So Americans are absolutely worried that AI is going to affect their jobs. Anecdotally, Akiko, you said it. This is something that we knew. However, we're really starting to have some data here. A recent survey from Checker has kind of revealed some color on what these hopes and fears really look like. And I'd actually love to start with something that has a little bit of a ring of optimism. 57% of respondents saying they would take a pay cut in exchange for an AI-enabled four-day work week. Now, to me, that actually, I say optimism because to me, that sounds pretty good. That sounds like something where people are convinced that automation is really going to have a positive effect on their working lives. Give them back some. This is 3,000 people, by the way. Time. However, from here, the data really takes a turn, especially as concerns millennials. Uh, for instance, 77% of millennials saying they would spend their own money to enhance their AI knowledge to avoid being replaced at work. And that even goes a step further with 78% of respondents in total and 82% of millennials worrying that AI tools will affect how much they are paid. Um, I'd love to sit here and say, as a millennial, I don't worry about this. That would be untrue. It also would be untrue to say that some of these concerns are unwarranted. The reality is that people who know the most about AI, the people who most about know about tech, are saying that jobs will absolutely be affected by the AI revolution. In fact, when OpenAI CEO Sam Altman was testifying before Congress just this month, he spoke about how he believes AI will affect jobs. I believe that there will be far greater jobs on the other side of this, and that the jobs of today will get better. Now, GPT-4 will, uh, I think entirely automated away some jobs and it will create <laughs> new ones that we believe will be much better. The jobs will be better. We'll like we'll like them a lot more, right? So yeah, that's that's fun. Um so that brings me back to well all of this is like AI, 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 but like I didn't even mention like this is transhumanism that they're trying to it's crazy to say, but it's like literally happening, trying to erase humans like the um, to create digital identities so that we will be digital in the metaverse. We're all going to be in the metaverse. We're going to be happy. It's going to be great there. Um, here's some other shitty news that we're going to end on. Uh, if you're wondering what's happening in Ukraine and with the default and everything, well, don't worry about the default. Um, don't worry about there's no gonna there's not gonna be a default right there's like a deal on the table maybe sort of with the Republicans and the demo fuck offs I, I can't even come up with a fucking Democrat name Democrats the Democrats 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 and Republicans okay and Republicans that's what my mother used to say yeah shout out to my mother who only hates them um, but yeah Biden had time to get away from the default talks and the debt ceiling and everything and give more money of ours, our money, to, to Zelensky. So here's that. Well, today, President Biden is expected to announce... Oh, wait, I should say, also, that last uh, video was Yahoo Finance, something about 
millennials survey and whatever. Uh, It'll be in the notes, whatever. This is from eight days ago, CBS Mornings, blah, blah, blah. Here we go. New $375 million military aid package for Ukraine while asking. Let's go back. Let's go back because that's interesting. How much did we just spend? We're spending money we don't have on a war that we haven't declared. A new $375 million military aid package for Ukraine while at the G7 summit in Japan. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky arrived in Hiroshima this morning to attend the G7. He's expected to hold several separate meetings, including with President Biden. Zelensky said the meetings with friends and partners in Ukraine will help bring peace closer. Elizabeth Palmer has more. Because war brings peace, guys. Security around the Ukrainian president's arrival was extremely tight as his plane, supplied by the French government, landed at Hiroshima airport. Zelensky's star power is going to focus global attention on the G7 leader's unwavering support for Ukraine. Unwavering. Before he touched down, Zelensky had got one of the things he'd been asking for, F-16 fighter jets. Oh, that's nice. Joe Biden has approved the training of Ukrainian pilots to fly the U.S made warplanes, and European allies are expected to supply the aircraft from among stocks that they already own. The G7 leaders released their joint communique a day early, presumably to clear the decks for meetings with President Zelensky tomorrow. The communique sets out some ambitious targets, including international regulations governing artificial intelligence, mechanisms to deal with Chinese Mm. economic bullying, and a commitment to phasing out fossil fuels by 2050. For CBS Saturday morning, Elizabeth Palmer, Hiroshima. So, yeah, like they brought up AI again. What is that? Like, oh, and just, you know, a quick reminder that Bilderberg 2023 happened around the same fucking time. Pretty much the same time that the G7 summit happened was when the Bilderberg conference happened and didn't get any press but people were looking at like outside getting them getting ready for dinner but we couldn't see anyone getting ready for dinner unless it was like really like lo-fi at Bilderberg at the castle not the castle at the palace that they were staying at in Lisbon so there's that and then there's a little more about the F-16s here just great news. ABC News, Ukraine to get F-16 training by... Terry Moran traveling with the president of Hiroshima tonight. Today, a senior administration official tells ABC News that President Biden has informed the G7 allies here that the United States has agreed to allow Ukrainian pilots to begin training to fly American-made F-16 fighter jets. This move represents a major reversal for Biden. And a wish fulfilled for Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. Yeah, he's having a good time. Shout out to Zelensky, who's who has not been hurt or you know damaged in any way, shape, or form during his war that he's fighting so vigorously um, with our money. Again, um, shout out to Henry Kissinger, who is totally not dead right now. Last time I checked. I mean, we'll see if he's dead. Let's do a dead, is he dead update. Let's let's see if he's dead yet. I don't think he is. But we'll see. Hope springs eternal. 
Henry Kissinger. All right. If he's dead, I'd see it the first thing, right? Nope. Nope, not dead yet. Well, we'll do latest. Let's give it... Okay. Nope, still not dead. All right, so Henry Kissinger is still not dead. He's still 100. And that's great news. So I'm leaving you with that, I guess. Um, thanks for listening. Hopefully... If you haven't been listening this whole time, you will go back to the beginning and listen to the first part. Um, we got through it together. I somehow managed to touch on every topic. I want to touch on it more. That's what she said later. Um, maybe next time. Next, Maybe I'm thinking of doing a, a live stream on YouTube to really go over and show the situation with Sam Altman and Elon Musk and everything there. And I want to go more into the Twitter and the financial services thing because not enough people are talking about it. And the people who did talk about it are now verified. So it's like insane to me. Um, but yeah, like I want to do like a, a Musk, a whole Musk thing. So keep, keep track of that. Um, I called this muskrat love, but I didn't even go into that as much as I wanted to, that people are now loving him who didn't love him before. But, oh, and I wanted to talk about his thing with Gillen. Okay, so tune in because soon I'm going to do a thing on YouTube at AKL, fuck, AKAL Latham on YouTube. And I'm going to do a thing about Musk and his connection to Gillen Maxwell, which he denies, but has been, I saw some information, so you might want to hear it. Um, so we'll do like more on that and the financial services and all that shit. So thanks for listening. Tune in next time. Stay with me. Um, stay aware of everything that's going on. We didn't even get to vaccines, but there's a bunch of shit going on there. And we can do that on the YouTube as well. Um, I'm glad I got my voice back by the end. That was ironic that I lost it during the voice cloning part, but I think it works. That's, it's just right in my awkward, you know, thing. So yeah. Um, thanks for listening. Hopefully this didn't sound bad. Um, I don't think it did. Um, and it wasn't boring or anything. I hate to bore people. I don't like to bore people. I wouldn't like to bore people. I hope you're not bored. Um, check out the show notes for all of the details, the links and everything. And then go to votabotabergmeetings.org and everything for that shit. So I wanted to talk about the participants of that too. So I'll talk about that in the steering committee and all that. I guess I'll continue that on YouTube as well. Um, I got to get out of here before too long. So let's see. What else did I want to say? Um, if you've been listening to this, show for a long time. I really appreciate you. I do it for you. I do it to get a documentation of the shit that's gone on, like I did with the pandemic or the plandemic, as I like to call it. You can go far as back as April 2020 and see where I was at. It kind of lines up with where we are now. And um, I lost a friend in that process. So it's crazy crazy times, misinformation, 
from the government is more reliable to people than actual information with documentation from researchers. But hey, that is what it is. And we've been through a lot together. If you've been here the whole time, like it's been a while, it's been a long ride and it'll keep getting longer and scarier, but we're on it together and we'll get through it together. I believe that 100%. All right. See y'all next month for another dystopian wrap up. Bye.